Hi, I'm Dennis Stefano, the next guest on On Screen Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. It is time for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining me. And this is episode 379 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we have Dennis Tufano with us. He's the original lead singer of the Buckinghams, who gave us such hits as Kind of a Drag, Susan, Hey Baby, They're Playing Our Song, and just so many other hits that they gave us, Mercy Mercy, and on and on and on. And he's going to be talking about his music career, what he's doing now, and a whole lot of other stuff. So keep listening. That's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. And we've got a lot of things coming our way in Season 9. Here we are, and uh, we're going to be having some more giveaways of DVDs for you, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, also be sure to go to onscreenandbeyond.com and find out what's going on and uh, go to our all our other pages. It gives you all kinds of information on releases of movies and DVDs and in theaters and everything else. So be sure to check that out. Well, what do you say? It's time to get into Remake Madness, next on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, it looks like another remake of Charlie's Angels is in the works, and most likely they'll have all new actresses playing those roles. In the 90s, the Troll Dolls, remember those with the colorful hair they had? Well, they're about to move from the toy store to the big screen as they are remade. And the cast includes, now get this, Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick. And you can look for that animated film to come your way November 4th of 2016. And a remake of Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse is in the works, but this time his role will now be played by a female. And it'll be played by MMA fighter Ronda Rousey. And that's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies? Upcoming new movies, well, it looks like you can look for Liam Neeson to get back into his action hero films with The Revenger. But this time, it's an action comedy, so we'll see how he does it with that one. And Keith David, William Shatner, and Barry Bostwick will star in Range 15. Now, this is a comedy horror movie set for 2016, and to be precise, it'll be July 4th of that year. April 8th, 2016, you can look for Julia Roberts and George Clooney, who will be starring in Money Monster, and it involves hostages, scandal, intrigue, and the drama thriller is going to be directed by Jodie Foster. And that's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Sequel City, coming your way to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sequel City, Disney is working on a sequel to Mary Poppins as the new movie will take place 20 years after the original film. No word of who will be playing Mary. And Jeepers Creepers 3 is coming our way. Filming should begin early next year. And Patrick Dempsey is in negotiations for a role in the next installment of Bridget Jones. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, October 6th, Penny Dreadful Season 2 lands on DVD and Blu-ray. And also on October 6th, Happyish Season 1 will arrive on DVD. And the epic space miniseries Ascension will fly into stores on October 16th. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what is coming your way as far as movies on DVD? We've got it next. Movies on DVD, it looks like on December 1st, some kind of beautiful with Pierce Brosnan, Selma Hayek, and Jessica Alba will hit Blu-ray and DVD and digital HD. And Cop Car with Kevin Bacon will slam into stores on September 29th. And November 3rd, the continuing story of the Griswolds comes our way on DVD and Blu-ray with Vacation. And that's it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Square to Be On... It's TV and entertainment time. TV and entertainment time. It looks like, uh, sadly, Jack Larson, who played Jimmy Olsen on the 50s TV Superman show, has passed away at 87. And we had a great interview with him. Actually, it was a, a, over a two-hour interview, so we broke it into two sections, part one and part two. Just go to our rerun section at onscreenandbeyond.com. And you can hear our two episodes interview with Jack, and he was a, a great guy. He had a lot of great stories to tell, and uh, he'll be sadly missed. And I Am Kate with Caitlyn Jenner has been renewed for a second season. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen to Be On, Celebrity Birthdays. <laughs> Celebrity birthdays. It looks like on September 23rd, Tom Felton turns 28, and Joan Jett of the Blackhearts turns 57. September 24th, Kevin Sorbo, past guest here at On Screen and Beyond, turns 57, and director Brad Bird turns 58. September 25th, Will Smith turns 47, Mark Hamill of Star Wars turns 64, and past guest at On Screen and Beyond, Michael Madsen, turns 58 on September 25th. September 26th, you can look for Olivia Newton-John to turn 67, and Linda Hamilton turns 59. And on September 27th, Meatloaf, past guest here at On Screen and Beyond, turns 68 years old, and Sean Cassidy turns 57. 
That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, Steve D of Cincinnati, Ohio, turns 51 on September 23rd. And it looks like Sophia R. will be turning uh, 38, and she's from Mexico City. And that's it for listener birthdays. If you or a friend or a relative is having a birthday, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we will all celebrate it. We'll let you, uh, everyone know about the birthday, and we'll all celebrate it with you. So be sure to do that. And that's it for celebrity and listener birthdays. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Dennis Trefano will be joining us. He is the original lead singer of the Buckinghams, who gave us so many hits. Mercy, Mercy, Susan, Hey Babe, they're playing our song. And uh, kind of a drag, all, all sorts of stuff. It's great classic hits, and he's going to talk about those and a whole lot more. Dennis Tufano is next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining me today on On Screen and Beyond is a singer and musician who was the original lead singer for the 60s hit-making group, the Buckinghams. Their hits included Susan, Hey Baby, They're Playing Our Song, Mercy, 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 Kind of a Drag, and Don't You Care. It's Dennis Tufano. Dennis, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you, Brian. It's nice to be here. Dennis, you know, even when I hear those songs today, it, they bring back so many memories. It's just a, just great songs. Now, tell us about the, you know, the the times back then. Well, my uh, the times back then. I mean, I, I think it was the the best time to to, to be in music. Uh, from we, you know, I came out of high school in '64, and uh, from '64 to to '70 was an amazing evolution in music. Uh, I mean, every year that we were on the road, uh, something new happened. Every 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 you know every so many months, there was another band, another kind of like step up in the music. Uh, you know, because back in back in the, the late '50s and the '60s, the early '60s, everything was pop music. Mm-hmm. The Hot 100 had everybody on the charts. It was uh, it was uh, you know uh, R&B, blues, uh, pop, uh, Frank Sinatra. I mean, everybody was on the same chart. Pop music was pop music, right? And uh, but boy, by '64, '65, especially when the Beatles hit and the British Invasion hit, things just started to get diversified in such a way that it it, it spiked uh, an evolution in music that was just unbelievable to be a part of. And uh, I mean, when when we started, uh, you know, playing in, in Chicago. Uh, our our goal was just to quit our day jobs and, and work on the weekends, and uh, but uh, what happened to us? We played at a very very popular place in Chicago that we used to all go dance even in high school called the Holiday Ballroom, uh, which is gone now. It was a, a converted movie theater that was gigantic, and it was uh, it was an unbelievable kind of uh, dance place that happened Fridays and Saturday nights, uh, and we used to go there and dance uh, as as young teens. And then that happened to be the place that we were actually uh, kind of discovered uh, when we started playing as the Buckinghams. Uh, what happened was that the DJ there uh, noticed that in the middle of our set, 
people stopped dancing and started gathering around the stage. Mm. And he said, you know, that's kind of different and special. He says, there, there's something going on here besides just dancing to you guys. I think you guys should make a record. And uh, that's when we went into the studio and uh, started to get our first taste of recording. And, uh, and, and it just started, to, it kept going from there. Now, were you uh, writing, we were very, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, were you writing your own material? No, no, we were we were doing a lot of covers back then. We were uh, we actually started. There was another singer in the band uh, because we were. Uh, I, was a, I was in an acapella group uh, with a couple of guys. One of the guys was a good friend of mine called George Legros, and uh, we used to sing together all the time at parties. And I mean, uh, people used to ask us to sing. We used to. What George and I used to do after school is we'd go to his back to his parents' house and we would listen to Everly Brother records mm-hmm. and learn how to sing. Uh, basically, we would listen to to Don and Phil, and because and, their harmonies were very, very unusual. I mean, they they were not typical harmonies, and uh, the way they crossed over, and and so George and I were fascinated by that, and I and I think that was a great beginning for us, a good foundation, because uh, I don't think you can get a better education. And what happened was is that we uh, uh, we got noticed by this drummer friend of ours who we saw at the dances all the time, John Polis. And he uh, said, look, at, uh, I'm in a band, and, and uh, we don't sing at all. He says, and, uh, you guys, would you be our singers? So we said, yes, of course. And uh, we started singing in front of this band. It was called the Pulsations at the time. And, uh, and, and we just we, we, we would do all kinds of covers of R&B, Righteous Brothers, Everly Brothers. We did all kinds of great stuff, dance tunes mostly, because that was the, the thing to do at the right. time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and then we uh, we went on and on and on doing that. So that that's kind of how we started singing and, and doing things. And we didn't have any original material at the time. And then, uh, uh, unfortunately, George got drafted uh, just before we recorded, and uh, and so I became the default lead singer. And uh, so for about three months before we recorded, I was pretty much uh, getting used to being the the lead voice. And uh, and we were doing we did a Dick Clark uh, he did like a weekend show at, uh, at the auditorium in Chicago, and all the local bands in Chicago would would get together and, and and play, you know, for free. We would showcase ourselves before the big acts came up, and uh, this uh, one of the local bands there that was unbelievable was called the Mob, <clears throat> and they were a great R and B band, and they opened the show in Vegas for Sinatra. You know, everybody like that. They were just one of those kind of great, great show bands. Mm-hmm. And the lead the guitar player in the band, Jimmy Soul, uh, whose name is Jim, Jim Hove, came to us and said, you know, I really, I heard you guys play tonight. He says, and I think I have a song. Uh, you know, this, this guy, Carl Bonafetti, who was kind of our manager at the time, uh, he went to him and said, you know, Jim, you write and stuff. Do you have any songs? So he came to us with this song at this concert that we were doing. And, uh, and gave us this little bitty three-inch reel-to-reel tape that he had uh, recorded in the hotel room with just a single guitar. And he gave us a song called Kind of a Drag. Wow. And, uh, and we took it home and we worked on it and we put it together and made it work for the band. And uh, we recorded that song. And, of course, uh, Kind of a Drag became our first number one record. And a huge uh, one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and then what happened was, it was, was fortunate for us, is that Jim Hovey, continued then because kind of drag was a hit continued to give us uh, material and then he co-wrote a, a couple of songs with gary beesber who was the sax player in, in in his band 
And uh, so they gave us, after that, they gave us Don't You Care, Hey Baby, They're Playing Our Song, and Susan. Wow. Yeah, so we had all those we had all those songs. I think it was very, very fortunate for us to have a, a consistency like that of the same writers to give us those hits because then it gave us a, a nice flow. Yeah. And I think that's that's part. And I think because they had the R&B flavor to their writing, it, it, I think it kind of like differentiated our, our, our sound a little bit because hmm. our pop music had a little bit more jazzy feel to it sometimes, especially when we added the horns and everything else. They gave us just a little bit different sound, which helped us, I think, uh, to be a, a different kind of group. Right. Now, uh, what about, now, it always makes me wonder, why would a group write songs and not record them themselves, and instead they give them to you, who then you go on to become <laughs> famous? Well, well, as Jim Hovey said to us, he said, I've, I've got some songs that are probably not uh, the right sound for my group. Now, they did write a lot of songs themselves for their group. If you, uh, actually, if you look up the mob on, on YouTube, uh, you'll find uh, four or five really good R&B. They were an R&B, heavy R&B-flavored band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, they're, and they're, they're, the ones that Jim Hovey wrote for his own band were great songs. Yeah. Uh, and uh, matter of fact, I've actually wanted to cover a few of them you know, uh, full circle of, uh, from so many years ago because they're still very, very viable, good songs. Uh, but he had he had written a lot of songs for his own band. But he said these are songs that are a little bit different. And actually, the uh, the, the grouping of songs that he gave us uh, were all written about the same girl, Susan. Oh, okay. And uh, so, you know, it was kind of a drag. If you listen to the story and all the songs, it's about love lost but I still love you, which was his thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like this girl, uh, after so many months, just, you know, took off and broke his heart. And I said, but that was good, Jim, because look at how many hit records we had. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that worked out pretty good, really. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, we started writing, actually, uh, halfway through our, our recording career, our uh, Complete Portraits album uh, was uh, all uh, co-written, uh, with at least two and three of us at least uh, were writing on the portraits album and our last album uh will be also we wrote most of the material on that too so uh we we were evolving uh, at a pretty steady pace which was nice it was a nice feel wow now i've had a lot of different artists on the show like uh, bobby hart was on and bill medley yeah. and and tommy james and of course tommy james told a lot of stories about the bad side, you know, I mean, oh, you know, yeah. about the, 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 uh, the corrupt record companies and the, and the management and all that sort of stuff. Did you find that the same thing with you or did, you know, was it a different story there? Uh, I think everybody uh, has the same story. Really? Uh, uh, yeah. I, I've read most of the books, uh, that, that the rockers have written it. And, and basically, if you just change the names, it's the same story. Wow. Uh, and, and yeah, we were ripped off uh, by our manager producer. Uh, he gave us hit records and yet uh, dissolved the band in some very evil way. Uh, you know, there was a point in our career about three years into it when we were at the top of everything, and we all decided uh, uh, to be really good uh, kids and go in and, and get the money there because we were on the road all the time. So, you know, the, besides buying really good mod clothing and guitars <laughs> yeah. and things like that, uh, we were we pretty much thought we were saving a lot of money. 
And uh, so we decided we'd go in and we'd, we'd, we'd withdraw a bunch of money and we would pay off our parents' homes, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a gesture for love for them, allowing us to take this step forward. Right. Yeah. That's, that's great. And so, when, and that's when we found out that our money was missing. Wow. And, uh, and things were being paid on our account and things like that. So it was, and, and, and there was, it was, I mean, it'll, it'll be in my book down the road a bit. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately I think I, some people have to maybe not be around anymore because I, I don't know if, if I could write everything without mm-hmm. being sued. I mean, there, there's some pretty heavy stuff that went down. I mean, actually, uh, and everybody's story is a little bit different. Uh, it's like, you know, because I know Tommy wrote the book, uh, me, uh, the, me, the, 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 me, the music and the mob. Right. And the, yes. The mob and, the music. and I mean, that was an amazing thing because the whole time we worked with Tommy, we were all wishing we were Tommy James because we thought he was making money hand over fist. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you read that book, you find out that they weren't even paying him mm-hmm. or the writers for all those big hit records. I know. And, and it was scary because those things happen today at a bigger, bigger level. You know, we're talking millions of dollars now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it still happens because there's so many ways. I think there's loopholes in the, in the music business, in the entertainment world anyway, where managers and producers can, can, you know, shift money around in different directions and, and it, it gets lost in the shuffle and, and you don't know until it's all over. Right. So yeah. you're in litigation. Like the whole last two years of our career was litigation. And uh, we were going on the road and flying back for hearings and, you know, suing the manager and, and trying. Yeah, it was it was pretty bumpy at the end. It was uh, it was definitely the extreme opposite of the, the peak of our career where everything was working well and we were having a great time. And uh, but, you know, I think that the the we were young enough to be resilient enough. Uh, I mean, some of the people we've lost, some people got very ill because of it. Some people really got bitter. Uh, but I think being surrounded by good people and having family that, that supported us to, at different times, I think we got through it without being too bruised mm-hmm. and were able to then make the adjustment uh, and say, okay, we've learned a lesson here. Let's move on and can, you know, continue doing what we were doing the best we could. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I tried to do and, and, uh, and to keep going. And I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the guys that we used to work with, uh, either got very ill because of it, because of the bitterness, you know, you got to be careful of what you hold on to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now you've continued you, you, uh, I mean, the group did, did dissolve and everything, but, uh, you, uh, you continued and you've, you've done a lot of, uh, work with, with, some amazing people. I mean, uh, you, you oh, worked yeah, with been, Bernie Taupin, right? I've been very fortunate uh, to uh, to be uh, uh, surrounded by some some you know some interesting people to work with. Yeah, I met Bernie Taupin uh, through a friend out here in Los Angeles, uh, actually at Lou Adler's uh, bar because I had just worked uh, right after the Buckinghams. Uh, we when we dissolved in 1970, uh, the uh, uh, we just like I said, we're pretty much trying to keep our heads together and lick our wounds and, and, and restart ourselves in a, in a way. So uh, so it took about a year for us to kind of resolve all that and to get some comfort and to realize that we, you know, okay, we we ended up with nothing and we should accept the credibility of what we did. Mm-hmm. We had a good legacy of music, but we had no, nothing to show for it as far as money or anything. And so what we did was I just took off for a while and just started writing. And uh, and then I ran uh, got 
connected up with Carl Gimarisi again, uh, the guitar player in the band, and he was writing. And we put some of our songs together, and we kind of blended pretty well. And that we got a record deal with Lou Adler's Old Records, and we did three uh, albums from 72 to 76 as singer-songwriters. And it was then through that, and then we kind of dissolved that duo and went our separate ways. And then... Uh, but I still remain friends with Lou, and I did a lot of sessions with him and did background singing on different albums that were going on at the time. And <clears throat> But he had a, a private club in Los Angeles called uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the Rocks, which is uh, right above the Roxy Theater, and uh, which he owned. And so I, w- I would go up there and, and hang out every once in a while, uh, and uh, I met Bernie Taupin up there. And uh, we became pretty good friends, uh, hanging out, having a few beers and talking. Uh, and one day he just asked me what I did during the day. Uh, and uh, and I told him that at the time that I was I was writing and I was also acting at the time. And so uh, he said, well, I'm thinking of doing a, a solo album. He says, and I'm looking for a, you know, a new, different songwriter. Let me hear some of your stuff and we'll go from there. So I said, sure. And I had some demos that I had just been doing with Tom Scott. Uh, the sax player, because I had worked with him. He was on old records too, so we became we were stable mates there. And uh, so we would have, and I was also doing sessions with him. And so uh, <clears throat> I brought my uh, my demos to Bernie, and he liked uh, the music. And so uh, he gave me a set of lyrics, and uh, said, uh, "Let's start with this one song and see what you can come up with." So I did, and I, it was called "The Horrors of Paris." Beautiful, beautiful song. And they were all songs that wouldn't have been suitable again, like for Elton John, mm-hmm. which was his purpose of keeping songs. Uh, all the songs on this on this album we did were, were kind of autobiographical for Bernie, uh, and so uh, they weren't as commercial as he was as the, the Elton John material. And so it was, it was really a, a challenging project because uh, you know I was a little intimidated at first because you know. Uh, I thought that I was kind of like, you know, competing with Elton John for a second. <laughs> but the material was so different, I realized it was that we were free to do what we what we could bring to it ourselves. Yeah. And so it worked out great. Bernie had great ideas and very clear ideas as to where, you know, what kind of genre he wanted each song to be in. And uh, we started working, and uh, and it worked out to be a really nice album. I mean, it wasn't very commercial, but it was uh, definitely uh, critically uh acclaimed uh, the reviews we got on the album were very nice so it was nice to do that and it was uh, it was a great opportunity to work with somebody as is uh, a great rock and roll poet like bernie Taupin. yeah now you mentioned competition you know just lightheartedly but uh back when you were with the buckinghams in the 60s and you guys were just popping out those hits uh, was there any, ever any i don't want to say competition but you know rivalry with the Beatles because, you know, if they would come out with a hit, you want you guys wanted to hit. I mean, obviously everybody wants to get a hit. I mean, Oh yeah. No, I don't think there was rivalry at all. I think that, that instead of what was interesting about the sixties is that I don't know if there was that much competition as there was, uh, inspiration. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that the, uh, well, every time a Beatles song came out, we were jazzed. And I think it really pushed everybody into another direction. And I, I think we all uh, added some sort of inspiration from the Beatles to any records we did. Uh, I think everybody had, was hit by that. Uh, everybody did as whatever they heard. Some you, you, you heard a little piece of a Beatles record. You go, oh, I got to use that sound, or I have to use that guitar sound, or, or those harmonies. So there was certain things that that were done like that that were 
uh, I think, more inspirational than competitive. Right. I think the local bands in Chicago, because uh, there was like six or seven bands that were happening at the same time in Chicago that, that were all getting hit records. There was the Ides of March, the Crying Shames, the New Colony Six, the Shadows of Night. I mean, we were we were coming up as a full-fledged city of pop music. Right, a lot of great songs. So we songs. were kind of competitive. Uh, but still friendly, but competitive. Yeah. Uh, we all laugh about it today because now we're all, you know, mature guys and we all look at each other and, and everybody's still playing, which is very cool. Mm. And so we all work together. We all uh, uh, get a chance to work together a little bit. Actually, we just did a benefit uh, for our, our keyboard player, for the original keyboard player at the Buckingham's, Marty Greb, uh, who's going through some health issues. And uh, I thought that the best way to raise money for him would be to... to uh, to do a, a Buckingham's reunion, the surviving members of the Buckingham's, because Carl and Nick, the bass player and guitar player, have been doing the Buckingham's for about 30-some years now. Mm -hmm. uh, they started, they reformed the band in the 80s. Uh, I did not join up with them at the time because I was a solo act, and I really had too much else going on, so they just went off and did it themselves. But I thought the best way to do this would be to have a reunion of the Buckingham's after 45 years, and also I invited all the bands from Chicago. And so we did a concert in Chicago with every band that had a hit record in Chicago, plus the reunion of the Buckinghams. Wow. And we sold out the theater there and made a lot of money for Marty. And as a matter of fact, we're producing a DVD out of it, uh, hopefully uh, by the beginning of the year. Uh, but that would, but it would, you, if you, when you see that, you'll, you'll see the, the camaraderie of all the Chicago bands that got together, you know, and it was, I think it was the first time ever uh, in Chicago, that all those bands played on the same show. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so it's quite a quite a unique little uh, uh, piece of work that uh, Harris. And you know, I, and, and I'm on the road a lot now with a lot of the classic rock bands, and and you know, we look at each other now, and, and we, we, it's just amazing to us that we're all still out there doing what we're doing, <laughs> and, and and almost everybody is is almost better than they were then. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of long-standing professionals in, in our business at the time. You know, even though we were back then, you thought we were just kids. But I think we all learned a lot. You know, in those mm -hmm. four or five years, we had our success. So. Yeah. Well, I've seen a lot of the uh, the YouTube things that that uh, of things that you're doing now, and uh -huh. a, a lot of the people that are that are out there. Uh, you know, of course, we're all getting older. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obvious. <we> <laughs> and uh, uh, some. People hold up better, you know. Uh, I don't know if it's because oh, yeah. of the rough living or, or what it was. It, it, one one guy told me one time that you know uh, his voice sounds the same as it did because he had gotten out of the the performing and you know he lived a uh, quote normal life. <laughs> and right. you know then you yeah. get other people like you know like you know Mick Jagger and all those guys and you know obviously their voices are changing and and um, but your voice sounds. You know, you you sound like you did back then. I mean, you can close my eyes, and and you know, you're singing the yeah. same way. <laughs> well, you know, I, I thank you. I, I uh, I've always I've, I've always felt like you know, almost like obligated to the to having been given a voice uh, to sing because you know when you uh, the uh, and you know, I only learned through feedback from fans and through people through the years. You know, that because you don't really know that if, if your voice is different or unique mm -hmm. or whatever it is. I just knew I loved singing, and and but to get the feedback that that your voice is is kind of unique to other voices is a great thing to know. And I started and I got that early on, and I started to think about it in a whole different way. 
And 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 anytime I ever hurt my voice in, in performance, I would be very very upset about that because I didn't want to throw away something that was given to me that that seemed to be a good gift. Right. And uh, so uh, and and I think I have a similar story than what you said. This other person said about taking uh, some a break uh, because in uh, uh, right around the well after right after I worked with Bernie Taupin, that was '79. Uh, I kind of laid, I wasn't performing a lot. I was mostly writing with people and, and, uh, and doing that kind of thing. So I wasn't really out on the road a lot. I was, I was local. Uh, and I was, t- I was, and there wasn't a lot of pressure on me. And, uh, and then I started performing again in, in the eighties. Uh, I, I was actually, I did the Olivia Newton John tour for three months. And that yeah. was a great show. And I got to do a couple of duets with her, which are on YouTube, of course. And uh, and that was a great thing. So I, I had these little moments where I, I had great little little shows to do, where I still kept my hand in performing. But at the time, I was doing a lot of acting. I was doing a lot of theater in Los Angeles. I was doing voice acting work, uh, and I was doing commercials. I mean, I went into a whole other place, which I think you have to be a little bit uh, careful about taking care of yourself because as an actor you have to look good you have to sound good you have to be ready because you never know which day you're going to get a job and which way you're not and so you're you're pretty much always taking care of what you're doing and 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 studying the craft and everything else so i had a moment i had those uh, a good six seven eight years where i wasn't being uh, subjected to the, the cruelty of the road right. you know and uh and so I, I was, I was, uh, I was taking care of my voice because I was making a living with it, and uh, even though I wasn't singing, mm-hmm. and and I learned a lot, and I really learned a lot about, especially in, in the acting world, I really learned a, a whole different approach to, to taking care of your, your instrument. Yeah. And so, and I brought all that with me then, uh, into the, uh, to, into the late '80s where I started performing again, and uh, and then, uh, but I really came back to performing by doing a. a, a uh, tribute show to Bobby Darren. Yes, tell uh, us about is, that. Because, uh, well, uh, you know, as you're, as an older singer, there's not much you can do. You can't go to clubs and plug in and jam with your voice. You can't you can't keep yourself, you know, in in the scene by by jamming with people or, or sitting in. So you have to come up with your own project somehow. And I was like starting to get very very uh, antsy about singing again because I, I enjoyed singing so much and I was doing a lot more acting and, and voice work and everything but I really the performance part of singing was 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 missing from my life and uh, and I happened to be at my sister's house in Chicago and uh, walking around her house while she was playing music and one of the CDs that came out was a Bobby Darren CD and I was walking around singing to it and later she mentioned to me she says uh, are you aware that while you were singing Bobby Darren stuff that your the tone of your voice was very similar to his and you sounded really comfortable in that place with him and I said I never thought of that I was always inspired by him I was you know a big fan of his uh, in the 60s you know was, and, and so uh, when I came home back to LA I I bought every CD I could and everything I could about Bobby Darren and started listening to all this amazing music uh, aside from just the, the popular songs he had and I realized that there was this amazing amount of work there, five different genres that he did. He did the rock and roll, he did country, he did folk, he did right. blues, and the standards. And, and he did them with such authenticity and, and such respect. And I went, you know, this is what a singer, this is exactly what I need as a singer. So I started studying a lot of the stuff, and I it took me about a year to go through all the material and come up with 
50 songs that I really thought were great. And then I, I uh, was introduced to a musical director, uh, Michael Acosta, who had just uh, worked with uh, Brian Setzer. Uh, he was hit when Brian Setzer went from the, the, the Stray Cats to right. the, the big band thing he did. Uh, and, and Michael was his um, uh, musical director. So uh, he came aboard with me and, and really started uh, kind of uh, arranging the songs in, in an order that worked. In a, in a, and we came up with this chronological timeline of Bobby Darin music from the very beginning of his work to the very end of his work. And, and I started using it as uh, saying that I was inspired by this man early on to become a singer. And so I started doing his music. And then in the, in the late 60s, when our music became popular, is when Bobby Darin actually got a little sick uh, and, and stopped performing for a while. So I add all of our hits to the show. And so about three quarters of the way into the show, I say, well, here's where the inspiration came full circle. And I do all of our hits. And then I come back and finish the show with all of the Las Vegas style stuff that he did. Mm-hmm. So it really, and so the old Buckingham stuff fits so perfectly into the whole Bobby Barron thing. And uh, so I could, I, I'm able to present his music and also present my uh, music uh, all on the same show. And it all fits nicely together. And I've been uh, doing that show on and off now for about six years too, along with classic rock shows. But Sounds like a great show. Uh, it's 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 a it's a lot of fun to do. I have to tell you, it's uh, you know uh, one of my favorite songs to sing is "Mac the Knife." I was going to ask it's, if you did that. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, How could you not? Uh, right. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, no, I, I I do them all. I do. I I mean, there's. I mean, I don't do everything because there's so much so much material there. Right. I, I have you know about ten songs that are alternates that I try to plug in when you know just to change it up a little bit. But Mac the Knife is just an amazing story, mm-hmm. and and when and, and and to sing it, the musical production of it is so wonderful. It's just so perfectly done that it's a joy as a singer to go out there and do it. Because and what's great about the, doing the show is uh, because you never know how people are going to respond, and uh, people were 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 thanking me for bringing the music to them because. He died at 37 years old wow. in like 1973, and so he kind of got rolled under. I think you know Sinatra kept going, right? And Tony Bennett kept going, and 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 I think that that because of him departing like he did, I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle. And so a lot of his music wasn't continually played like all the other uh, singers were. Mm. And I and I brought and to bring back these songs, people come up to me after my shows because even in the classic rock shows I do I do all the hits and I do songs that I love to sing like some rascal songs and stuff like that mm-hmm. and some blues and things but I do like a good five or six Bobby Darren songs and people come up to me after the shows and they say we love your your hits and everything said, but thank you for bringing that Bobby Darren music back because it's like we closed our eyes and, and really went back you know and said oh yeah. my god that's that's the Bobby Darren stuff so it's 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 really is nice to be able to come up with a show that that you love doing, that also translates to the audience. Too. Right. So, uh, and so I I get a chance to do a little bit of both, and it actually my classic rock show is a nice little kind of teaser uh, promo for the big Darren show. Because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, when I do the show, I usually uh, there's a friend of mine who's a comedian, Tim Walco out of Chicago, and uh, I use him to open the show, kind of like an old Vegas kind of way of doing things, you know. Mm-hmm. Have the comedian open the show, and then I come on and do the big Bobby Darren show. 
and uh, and depending on the budgets that we can come up with, uh, it's either uh, you know eight horns or two horns or three horns. It just depends on you know uh, how much we can afford to do depending on where we're playing. Right. And uh, but it's it's it, the music itself is so wonderful to do. It's a joy for me as a singer to go out there and do it. So yeah, I really enjoy doing that. Did you ever get to meet him? Uh, no, I never got to meet Bobby Darren personally. Oh. But a great thing happened uh, to me. I actually when he was playing. Uh, in at the Troubadour, uh, and he was because he was doing kind of a folk kind of a thing. He had dropped all of all the Vegas kind of stuff, you know, grew a mustache and took the toupee off and dressed in denim, and he was doing a a great folk thing at the Troubadour while Carl and I were were recording on old records, and we couldn't go to the show because we had sessions booked. And it was like a moment where I said, you know, somebody told us, oh, did you hear Bobby Darren's at the Troubadour tonight? We goes, oh, man, we got the session, you know, that went from like six in, at night till three in the morning. So we couldn't we couldn't cancel the sessions to go see him. That would have been the only time I would have been able to see him. Uh, but uh, but what, a great thing happened to me was I had done the show for about a year, year and a half. And uh, some people started responding to it that were Bobby Darren fans. And uh, they... Uh, had told uh, the Bobby Darren Foundation people about it, and uh, and two of the guys that were in the foundation were his bass player and his guitar player, uh, T.K. Kelman, his guitar player, and uh, Billy McCubbin, who was called Billy Mack, uh, was the bass player with him for the last eight years of his career. And uh, I get a phone call one day from Billy Mack, and I had I knew who he was because I had read all about Bobby Darren and who his guys were and all that. And I, and I thought he was calling me to tell me to cease and desist, you know, like, you can't do this. And uh, But instead, he said, look, we, we've seen some of your videos and we, we've heard some of your recordings of, of Bobby's stuff. And we really we really appreciate the respect that you bring to, the, to your renditions. And we'd like to invite you to come to Vegas and, and be a part of the Heart Association concert series we do for the foundation. And uh, and they uh, I did about 12 songs with them. And, and it was it, it was like... 2,000 people in the audience in Vegas, and most of them were, were fan club, was about a Darren fan club. These are people that were in fan club for 50-some years. And uh, and his bandmates on either side of me. And it was like, to me, it was like, finally, it was like the, the stamp of approval uh, by all the, the fans and by his bandmates that what I was doing was, I was doing it proper, I was doing it with respect. Right. And and they saw that I wasn't just, I wasn't imitating him, I was really presenting his music as best I could as myself. And so that was a, a highlight of, of that moment for me because uh, you, you really don't want to step on toes when you're, when you're doing stuff like that. I, my, my whole reason to do it was to present the music as, as, as properly as I could. Mm-hmm. So, so that was a great thing to, to have happen. So that was almost like, like being, you know, hugged by the, by the Bobby Darren people. You know? Right. So that yeah. was a good thing. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Well, I got a couple, just a couple of quick questions before we finish up. Yep. But, um, one of the things I, I noticed when I was going through the, uh, the, the my review here to figure out what I was going to ask you for questions and things. But one of the interesting things I found, and this must have been a heck of a time for you, I, I understand you and Carl were uh, touring with the Cheech and Chong. <laughs> <laughs> what was yes, that I, like? <laughs> well, <clears throat> they, were on the, they were on old records. 
you know, Lou Adler had produced their records, mm-hmm. and uh, and we had just finished our album, and it was a really good album that Lou Adler produced, and uh, <clears throat> as as the, as the songwriting duo, and he said, you know, Tommy and Cheech, we've got this great tour in some great places, and uh, and I think it would be great if you open the show. And, and, and we didn't really think much about it. We thought, yeah, great idea. You know, we have a built-in audience. People are going to come to see them. Well, we had no idea that people were going to be doing their act while we were trying to play. <laughs> you know, and it was like they were, I mean, the, the, the room was, every concert we played, it was filled with smoke. <laughs> and, 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 and we'd be up on stage and they'd be going, where's Dave? And they'd be doing parts of their act. Oh, they got geez. to the point where every once in a while, because we were an acoustic act, we had two acoustic guitars, a bass player, and a percussionist. So it wasn't we we weren't very loud, mm-hmm. and uh, so every once in a while, I would ask the audience if they would just be quiet, so we would know we started. <laughs> you know, because we couldn't even hear ourselves start to play because the whole place was so high. Uh, it worked out. It was a great show because uh, sometimes we they wouldn't let us off the stage. You know? Wow! Once once they got into the music. Uh, we did encores, and it became a really successful tour. Actually, and it really it helped sell our our record uh, very well. And, and uh, well, after the first couple of shows, we 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 realized how to to work with the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because uh, it, of course, you know, never uh, would we would we desecrate the stage. And you know, right? Yeah. But uh, it was uh, it was taught a long time ago never to do that. So we, we worked it out, and it, 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 be, it was a nice little tour. But I know people always ask about that. They go, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? <laughs> so the comedians open the show. and you know, But they were so big, and they were great. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. they were so great live. Very, They were like, you know, performance artists, really, on the stage, not just funny guys. They were, right. They were great characters. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. And, yeah. and to this day, I, I still run into Tommy and, and Cheech every once in a while out here. We, we laugh. And uh, Cheech actually told me a great story when we were on the tour, he said, he said, I have to tell you, he said, when I first started trying to get work, he said, I used Don't You Care as my audition song. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I was, well, this is great. This is full circle. I said, you know, I said, here we are working together and stuff. So it was kind of fun. Wow. Yeah. Now, you also co-wrote and, and or uh, sang the, the, the theme song for Family Ties the first season? Well, I, I did sing it with a yeah with a, a duet with a girl named Mindy Sterling, a great singer. But mm-hmm. uh, Tom Scott wrote the music, and Jeff Berry wrote the uh, the lyrics. And it was actually uh, we were at the tail end of our rehearsals for the Olivia Newton John concert. Uh, it was about a week before we left to go do the the, the, the shows. And uh, Tom came to me and said, "Look," and he says, "I just uh, working on this thing that we're doing for uh, this TV show that's not out yet." And it's the theme song, and I think you'd be your voice would be good for it. And uh, we walked over to the Paramount stages because we were rehearsing on the lot there. And uh, I met Mindy and Jeff, and we sat down. They told us the, what the premise of the, the show was, and we were supposed to be the two lead characters, the husband and wife, singing to each other. And uh, we uh, we went in there and did the session, and it came out really great. Uh, and when, But then Johnny Mathis heard it. And loved the song so much, and he convinced the uh, the people on the show for to have him re-record it, <laughs> and that he was going to release it as a single. And he never released it as a single, but he ended up having the him and the, I think it was uh, Patty Austin, I think it was, mm-hmm. or Denise Austin. Uh, they uh, they did the, the duet, 
And then, so after the first 13 episodes, they used Johnny Mathis, thinking that that would be a better draw for the show. Hmm. Uh, nice. But uh, it really wasn't the same because the Johnny Mathis and the other girl weren't exactly the couple that were on the show. Uh, but uh, but we're still on there. Every once in a while, they'll play uh, the original pilot, and uh, our voices come up singing the song, which is great. And yeah, it was, uh, it was actually a cool little cool little song. Yeah. Huh. Now, do you have a favorite Buckingham song that you sang? Well, Don't You Care uh, is one of my favorites because it was our follow-up song to kind of a drag, and it was kind of a crucial, uh, you know, the second song was kind of uh, important, but it was it was a beautiful, it didn't get like faster and louder. It it, it still continued to be a, 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 as a singer, it was just a fun song to sing. It was a great place, a great key. It was a, it was a really nice jazzy little story. And, uh, and it was just a nice song to sing. I mean, all of our songs are actually my favorites. I mean, Mercy Mercy is another big favorite of mine. Uh, and, uh, because that was kind of an album cut to begin with, uh, when we were doing our, our first Columbia album, uh, we got this demo sent to us by Johnny Guitar Watson, who wrote the lyric to it. Wow. And, uh, and we were, we listened to this, this version because we had seen Cannonball Adderley do this song as, as, in his jazz group. Uh, and as a matter of fact, a little bit of trivia, when you look at Billboard's Hot 100, uh, Mercy, Mercy, Mercy by Cannonball Adderley as an instrumental was like number 10. And if you go down to like 98 or something or 89, kind of a drag is coming up. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of an interesting kind of like a balance there. And then, of course, we, uh, we recorded it as an album cup. Marty grabbed uh, the keyboard player and myself sang it as a duet. Uh, and uh, and somebody at Columbia, when they listened to the the final recording, they said, "Hey, we could release this as a single. This thing has a has a spark to it." And sure enough, they released it, and it became another hit for us. So, yeah, jeez. Uh, you know, so it's a little lucky things like that 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 happened in our career. That was great. You yeah. know, and, and I look back at the whole thing as as as, as a wonderful time. I mean, even the ripoff part of it was a great education. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Uh, and and I think that it's uh, but overall going out on the road now and, and performing these songs uh, is so wonderful because the people after 50 years or so, 48, 50 years, they all have stories connected to the songs. Mm-hmm. And now they tell me the stories after the show. And it's like, I'm always the last person to leave the venue because we're still standing there talking and they're telling me stories. And sometimes we're all in tears because it's so moving some of the connections that they make with the music to the, you know, to, to the songs. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me that three minutes of something we did stuck to somebody's life that, that, that strong. You I know, know that's I mean? amazing. That, yeah. That's always amazing to me. I mean, we all have songs that connect, we connect to in our lives, but when they, when it's something that I did and they come up to me and say, I did it, I was, I'm always amazed by that. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dennis, I'd like to finish up with two final questions. And this takes us away from your singing, and and, and it's a, more of a personal thing. When you sit back and relax, what, what what are you watching on TV now, and what are your favorite shows of the past, and what are your favorite movies now and of the past? Oh, wow. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I think I, <clears throat> I really am a, I'm a Netflix freak. Uh, I really like binging and watching some of the, the, the newer series that I think that are out there now on, on Netflix and, 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 and 
different places like that. I, I don't watch a lot of regular TV because I don't, I'm not really around a lot. If I'm on the road, I don't right. have a chance to see the primetime stuff. Uh, I do like Empire. I think Empire is a, quite a great, uh, good series, and, and I think it's well done. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot some of the some of the series and things are a little bit flat. Some of it's just you know entertainment kind of stuff, and it doesn't have a lot of good story. I like things with really good stories to them, things that make me think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, movie wise, is uh, there, there's just tons of movies. I would I would probably have to write them all down for you, uh, but of course. Some of them are pretty obvious. I think that the uh, 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 Martin Scorsese films are always uh, interesting, mm-hmm. and and I mean, I mean you can you can watch them ten times and see new things in them. So so all those kind of that that sort of genre is always good to me. I like I like really good thrillers. I like good uh, detective thrillers. Uh, uh, one of my favorites is always detective thrillers. Uh, there there was actually a great series. Uh, uh, called uh, Killing, The Killing, uh, which yes. was a, a great, great show that it never ended. You know, every episode was a continuation of, of the same case, and it was just wonderfully done and, 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 and very well written. Uh, so those, those are the kind of things that I really like, and I, I like really good comedies. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I really, uh, if, if something can make me laugh, that's, that's heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's there's some shows that are really well written, you know. That uh, actually, there's there, there, I'm watching reruns are, are always good for me. I, uh, I somehow I I'm not a current guy. I mean, if a, if there's a hit show, I'll probably catch on to it five years from now. <laughs> uh, and 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 just because I, I'm not like a a regular audience viewer, I because I, I don't have a, a current kind of lineup, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, but there's there, there are shows that just always uh, you know are pretty cool and uh, me and my wife uh, really love my well my wife is a producer writer so she so we, we definitely uh, are, are are fascinated by watching everything that's ever made just about because we like storytelling we like good storytelling. Oh, and I want to congratulate you. You're you're a newlywed, right? <laughs> yes, I just got married in June. Yes, uh, June congratulations. 7th, we got married. Thank you. Uh, it's my first time uh, venturing into the matrimony world. I, uh, <laughs> it took me a long time to find the right woman, I guess. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, very interesting. Uh, I proposed many years ago, but we've both been so busy, we never had time to go get married. <laughs> uh, so we, so uh, and we actually ended up just getting married in the backyard uh, because it was convenient. We both were in town at the same time. And uh, and we said, let's, you know, a friend of ours is, is an attorney judge in San Francisco, and she came down and uh, and and, uh, and married us and everything. It was it worked out pretty good, you know. And actually, there wasn't a lot of people at the wedding. There were actually people that were at the wedding were people that said, "Hey, what are you doing this weekend?" And we said, "Oh, we happen to be getting married. You want to come by?" <laughs> it was like that kind of a thing. And uh, so it was it was very 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 uh, it was great actually. Uh, yeah. Well, and- yeah, it was a lot. It was- how can people keep in uh, in touch on what you're doing, where you're performing, and things like that? What's the best way to? Well, there, there's uh, uh, I, have a, I have a website that's uh, uh, it's uh, I'm trying to remember what the, there's so many of them out there now. DT Sings, uh, right? Yeah, DTSings.com is is a website. There's a new website that we're working on now, which will will link to that one. Uh, but the, the the best page is the Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, is uh, the uh, Dennis Stefano, the original voice of the Buckinghams uh, page. 
and I, and I believe that that's uh, the facebook.com Dennis Tufano sings. And, uh, and, but if you look, there's a couple of Dennis Tufano pages out there, but the one, the, the original voice, the Buckingham's is the one that has every piece of information. It has videos. It has my lineup of events. It has where I'm playing. It has a great, great uh, following. Uh, people make a lot of, there's a lot of conversation about, about what we're doing on, on the Facebook page. So that, that's a great place to go to, to, to get information. That's great. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Den- Dennis, I want to thank you so much for taking the time oh, to talk to us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I also want to, uh, uh, I know this sounds corny, but, <laughs> but, but <laughs> thank you so much for the music that you've given us over the years because I've really enjoyed it, and I know a lot of people out there say, feel the same way. Well, uh, Brian, it's not corny at all, and I, and, and I mean, I feel as strongly about it as you do. Uh, my, I'm grateful that I was given the opportunity to, to make those records and to be in the business. And, uh, and, and here I am still in the business, which is, uh, another big wad of gratefulness that I have going on. And, you know, and, and, and I'm also uh, thankful to people such as yourself that, that, uh, chronicle what we did and, and have respect for what we did because, uh, it's, it's very meaningful to, to us, uh, artists that make the music that uh, we're still alive and our music is still alive and that, you know, people like yourself uh, keep it alive. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's, a, that's a great uh, service that you do. So thank you for that. Yeah. And, oh, one other thing. During your show now, do you go out in that, uh, uh, any of those costumes you wore, like the uh, uh, the cavalry type thing with the bars <laughs> no, on the shoulder? <laughs> no, the, well, the, the, that, that cavalry thing on that one album, that we, we had just happened to do like a series of shots out in Los Angeles where, of all different outfits, you know, because they, Columbia Records wanted us to dress up in different things to keep it lively. Mm-hmm. And, and and then that, that one thing stuck. Uh, and, uh, matter of fact, I talked to Gary Puckett about it a lot because, uh, the, that was their look. You know? Right. And, uh, and we, but we, uh, we dressed up in all these suits and everything, uh, which I actually designed all those suits that we wore, the gray suits and the kind of, oh, really? Thing. Wow. Uh, yeah. Edwardian suits. Well, I was a commercial artist before, uh, out of high school and I was going to be a graphic artist. Uh, and so I carried on once I, I went into music and I quit my day job as a graphic artist. And so I carried on by designing suits and painting the drum heads and doing things like that. But, wow. uh, but yeah, we mostly dressed up in those suits. We never wore the military stuff on stage. That was just on an album cover and it just seemed to stick. Uh, but, uh, but on stage now, no, I, I dress in, in a suit and tie. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like, I, I can't get away from dressing up. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, I, cause I feel like some people say, well, how come you just don't go out there in a t-shirt and just do what you do? And I go, you know, to me, it's like, uh, I'm coming to a party mm-hmm. and I want to dress up for the occasion. And I, and I, we always dressed up. Matter of fact, uh, my sister pulled out some old pictures of us from 1965 at the holiday ballroom. And there I am singing on the mic with my black suit and my tie. Wow. <laughs> It's like there we were, and here I am at the same. And we actually took a picture of the new, a new picture of me doing this, almost the same pose. And we, there's somebody posted it on uh, on Facebook, and it's kind of funny because uh, so many years later, there I was, kind of dressed exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do, I do enjoy. There's something. It's almost like you know, 
you're you're getting ready for the show. It's like there's it's part of getting ready to perform. Right. Uh, yeah. Go out there and dress up. So I yeah I, I always uh, dress up in a suit and tie when I go out there and perform because it just feels great. Well, thank you very much, Dennis. I really do appreciate it. Well, Brian, thank you, man, and thanks for having a great uh, love of the music and, and for the arts. Uh, I looked at your page, and, and it's really uh, chock full of great stuff, and uh, thanks for, for being the guy that, that keeps all of us uh, in everybody's ears and eyes. You know, it's great. Thank you so much for that. What a great guest. All those hits that they had, and he's still singing them, and it's just uh, just as good as ever. So if you get a chance to see a concert with Dennis Stefano, be sure to check it out. He's got a lot of great stuff. And with his Darren stuff, Bobby Darren stuff that he's doing now, um, I'm sure that's a great show, too. So uh, go ahead and, you know, go out and listen to him. Well, we have been uh, very, very busy, and uh, we are setting up more people to join us here at On Screen and Beyond as far as... uh, guests and uh next week we're gonna have a great one coming your way so i hope you're gonna be joining us tell a friend and if you have a suggestion for a guest send it to me at feedback at on com. i will see what i can do about getting that person on and uh, uh last week we had a cancellation so uh i i didn't have an interview to, to pop in there for you but uh we have more coming our way so i hope you're gonna keep listening to on screen to beyond tell a friend and get the word out and if you are on iTunes, leave us a review. That'll help more people hear about us. So, what do you say? I think that's about it for this week. And that's a wrap. So, until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. <laughs>